the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. With sports in full swing all at the same time, there's no better place to get your long form analytical coverage than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize your favorite leagues and teams, and get an ad free experience every morning. It's absolutely loaded with great content every day. It's the first place I go when I wake up. Kiss my kids, kiss my wife goodbye, check The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. Happy week seven of the NFL. Happy game three of the World Series. Plenty to talk about, of course. I'm going to try to switch things up a little bit here. It's getting a little bit uh, of a broken record, even with all the sports we have. We do have the NBA offseason coming. We're going to touch on that a little bit with Scott Allen. We do have the trade deadline from the NFL coming. We're going to touch on that a little bit as well. Then we're going to bring in Emily Karen from Sportico for a nice change of pace. She covers a lot of women's sports, a lot of the smaller sports, a lot of college sports. And with the Big Ten starting this week in college football, I thought it'd be a good time to bring her in, kind of assess where we are financially speaking in college. And, uh, you know, look, this isn't going to save <laughs> anything, really. I mean, you know, it's not going swimmingly. Let's put it that way. There's plenty of games being postponed slash canceled. Um, you know, the, the positive negative situation with testing isn't great right now, especially in college football. But Emily's got a great spin. She's been covering a lot of different angles. And uh, it'll be good to have her on. It's been a couple of months, so it's good to touch base with her a little bit as well. Let's talk some NFL trades with Scott first. All right, Scott, welcome to the Hit Braid Hotline. Happy Thursday. As I mentioned in the open, Game 3 is here, the World Series. Week seven of the NFL is here, and the NBA offseason is officially here. We've touched on a little bit of each kind of already this week, but I want to start here. I'm going to put you on the spot because I think it's it's more fun this way. Uh, the NFL trade hot stove is officially red hot. And generally speaking, big names don't move. Um, this is generally when bad teams try to acquire more draft picks. I think, and we've spoken about it, I think it's going to be a little different this year for two reasons. Number one, the draft is a big unknown, even with college football sort of kicking off, and I'm going to talk with Emily about that more. But, you know, I don't know that a, that the 30th overall pick is worth what it used to be this year, specifically speaking because of how hard the scouting is going to be. So I don't know if you're going to see even the good teams try to, you know, load up some second and third round picks, um, necessarily speaking, what that might mean, and we've talked about it before, is more player-for-player player trades. So let's have some fun with it. I think we may see two legitimate NFL players move, minimum. A lot of others, I, I bet you we get 10 trades. That's my estimate. Okay. If I could do an over-under, right. I'd put it on 10 right now. But here's the two names I think are moving. I think Julio Jones is going. <laughs> that was my number one I, thought. I, I mean, it, it's the easy one for everybody to talk about, but it has to happen. I think they can I get two so picks, like a first and a second, maybe even two firsts if there's a bidding war. And I think there's three teams in right now, like really in. And I think the Raiders are probably the favorite. But Julio Jones has to go because not only are the Falcons going backwards, but Calvin Ridley's a legit wide receiver one. So this is what yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is what the Cowboys didn't do. The Cowboys traded. For, for Amari Cooper, gave up the first-round pick 
and then also drafted a first round a number one wide receiver and then drafted another number one wide receiver so there's no comparing anything to the Cowboys right now but if the Falcons are who we think they are which is a middling team that can win that can score a lot of points already then they can afford to to lose this player and I realize he's Mm -hmm. super he's a superstar but he is 30 there's 61 million left in this contract let somebody else pay this and and, yeah. and reset yourself financially a little bit because you can't do that with Matt Ryan easily, even if you try to. It's You're going to have to take a huge hit to do it. So flip this position first and then worry about the quarterback position later. I, I, I mean, Raiders for me sound good. Any other teams sitting out there for you for a, a legitimate wide receiver? Because I'm going to mold this together with A.J. Green too, kind of a, a you know number one, number two in terms of wide receivers on the, on the market right now. I would imagine AJ Green's at least being, you know, filtered out there, but teams are probably asking about Julio first. Yeah, probably. I'm trying to think of any other teams off the top of my head that I generally it's the Patriots this time of year. Um, (laughs) It is. You're right. And I do have a move for the Patriots, but it's not necessarily a wide receiver right now. Um, I got a team for you and it's a team that just went through quite a, quite a butt kicking last week. And we, we know that the weapons are deficient, and we know that the quarterback is not. I think Green Bay is probably sitting here looking at one of these two wide receivers. Um, yeah. A.J. Green is going to be the easier one to get. Now, it's going to take probably a second still. Um, eh, I pro- that's probably too high. Maybe a third. Maybe a third and a fifth, something like that for A.J. Green. I think the Packers got to pull this trigger. Yeah, I like that move. Uh, one of the... I- Seattle sort of comes to mind if this Antonio Brown situation I think, doesn't really come to fruition. I think it does, Scott. I, I don't do. think it's. I don't think people are blowing smoke up our butts with that. I think that's really going to happen, and that's why they haven't made a move to this point. They know that's coming. Here's another. Here's a third team. This Michael Thomas situation in New Orleans is not going away. Yeah. All right, yeah. he, he punches a guy, he gets suspended, but they didn't suspend him, so they couldn't void his guarantees. Now he's got a hamstring problem. It just seems like every three days something else is coming up. And I don't know if this is semantics or if this is just bad luck. But one for one. But if they're going to win, no, you're not trading Michael Thomas. But no, if, no, 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 no. But if, if they're going to win this year and Drew Brees possible last year, you just go and do this. Yeah. You just go and do this. So I'm going to put those three yeah. teams I, in, into wide receiver conversations I, at least. Yeah. And I've said this before. I mean, I, I would love to see some teams take the risk pull the trigger this year specifically right just be different yeah well if you know you're a team that is really low and you have no chance at making the playoffs pull the trigger get rid of the guys that you don't want stockpile as much draft assets that you can get because maybe even in 2021 22 or 22 23 right i mean don't even worry about next year necessarily Right. And even if they do want it for this year, because of the unknowns of some of these players, some of these teams may want to have 10, 15 draft picks or whatever it might be to have as many darts thrown to maybe land on that fifth or sixth round pick that just happens to be a stud that somebody totally missed because of lack of scouting, lack of playing in the college uh, games this season. So some of those teams that are really low should be really thinking about that. It's a really good point. Depth over quality quantity over quality maybe this year you're right um and, and also oh by the way you know the cap might be 180 so getting rid of julio jones cap number you know is just good business too in that regard even though he's a hell of a player still so that's what i think all of this is a recipe for bigger trades than we've 
maybe seen at the deadline in the past. I'm going to give you another name, and I realize it's uh, it's a little bit jaded right now because he's banged up. It's going to be probably a month, but I think Zach Ertz has to go. I think it's time. That Philly team is too inconsistent, and we can't continue to blame Carson Wentz for everything because, quite frankly, they can't afford to move on from him <laughs> from a cap right. situation. So We've talked about that. Yeah, so it's either fire the coach or really start to swap some of these pieces out. They've got a couple of tight ends on that team that, that are at least producible, you know, they're not to the level of Zach Ertz when Ertz is healthy, but now is the time to do it. This is the move for the Patriots. The Patriots did the most unpatriots thing when they just completely let the tight end position flail out. I, I mean, they brought in these two kids, these second and third round picks that barely can find the field. They let they had to let Gronk walk because of their cap situation. I get that, and, and I understand that from a football move as well. But there were tight ends to be had out there in free agency, and they didn't even touch them. They didn't acquire O.J. Howard when everybody thought that was going to happen. They didn't touch David Njoku. They can still do that. He's on the trade block again. You know, I put a guy like Kyle Rudolph or Zach Ertz heavily in the in the Patriots' corner this these next couple of weeks for two reasons. Number, number one, Philadelphia and Minnesota need to shed some cap. It's just plain and simple. So this is, this is a, a way to start doing that. Number two, both of these teams need what the Patriots can offer them which is a, a good interior offensive lineman in Joe Tooney. He's on a franchise tag. The Patriots are never going to tag him again. The Patriots don't pay these players. They don't extend, you know, any, they don't even send left tackles, let alone interior linemen. So I don't see this marriage continuing. So let's, let's move on from it. Let's give somebody else the keys to Joe Tooney and that franchise tag and finish this thing off. It, it would make the, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles better immediately. They've lost every single player in their offensive line, at least for a week this year already. So, you know, they need all the help they can get there. And all by the way, they're in the worst division of football. So it's not like they're tanking. If they make the right move right now, they could win the division. So uh, to me, that makes the most sense. Grab an interior lineman from, from New England and, sh- and shed Zach Ertz, who will be healthy in a month and will be able to help the, uh, the Patriots, not just this year, but the next two years as well. I, I just want to throw this team at you and have you assess maybe the roster and maybe where they might have a need or two. Where are you with Cleveland right now? Because I feel like Cleveland could do nothing or make five trades right now. Yeah. You know what? That That's a great point. Um, I, we do a family pick um, and picking the Browns. I, 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 you, you don't even know what team is going to show up and they're playing the Bengals this week, but the Bengals could come out and win that game even though the Browns are four and two. So it's, yeah. it's a, it's, it's a crap shoot on what team you're going to get. And you're right. This is a team that they could either pull the trigger and make a ton of moves, or they could just sit pat and, and go status quo for the remainder of the season and see how things uh, continue. Um, I, I think with the recent history, I, I'm going to say that they make one or two moves. I don't think they, they go is to the extent of, like five or six, but I think they will make a move or two, whether it's, um, you know, for a line or uh, another wide receiver. I think they're good at the the running back position there, but you know, they may try to shake it up a little bit, but well, let me, let me pose this to you because I've seen this (laughs) Dwayne Haskins. in a Josh Rosen type yeah. move because I, I mean, you, you didn't mention it, but it, it's, it bears mentioning 
Baker's the problem. Yeah, but is Haskins going to be the, no. the fix? No, but it's an absolute minimal risk move. And not for nothing, it could be a Jordan Love to Taron Rodgers kind of thing. Baker's a fiery guy, and something's wrong right now, whether it's that system, whether it's a coach-player relationship situation, whether it's you know guys like OBJ maybe taking over that locker room and, and, and suffocating B- Baker a little bit. Obviously, we don't know. But you make a trade like that in November, and you piss a guy like Baker Mayfield off, and I can only see good things coming from that, right? That's, that's a good point. And what do you give up, a, a sixth point. at the most for Dwayne Haskins? Yeah, probably. The way that he played and what they've seen on tape now, Yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe a little bit higher. higher I, think, I, think Rosen it, gave, it, I think Rosen was a fourth, right? Did Rosen give up a fourth? I think Arizona got a fourth for him. So maybe I'm a little low there in that assessment. And, but. Maybe, and like I've said before, sometimes players just need new uh, new scenery, and maybe Haskins needs new scenery, new uh, infrastructure with a different team. Um, you know, going back into Ohio there, maybe that would help. I didn't even think about that. Good call. So, Well, here's the other so, thing, because you know, I, I talked Baker, Scott. Uh, they have to make a, a, a decision on his fifth-year option by May 3rd of next year. And generally speaking, we kind of gloss mm-hmm. over that. But there's new rules. There's new rules. The second they say yes to that fifth-year option, it's fully guaranteed. You're locking in 20-plus million fully guaranteed on Baker Mayfield for 2022. So it's not for nothing. So this is really the time to figure things out with him. Right now, this next, these next seven, eight, eight, nine weeks in Cleveland – is this the guy? Are we going to invest $20 million or and, and go down a Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota path? Because that's really what it would be. You know, it's it's the number one pick. We really don't yeah. know yet, but we don't want to give up on him just yet. So we're going to pay him $20 million on an option to, to give him one last hurrah and then lose him for nothing. And you can't do that. that that's just senseless right now. So t- to me, you light the fire, you, you give him the ultimatum, and, and you say, let's go or no here. Let me let me throw this name out there because uh, obviously we've seen with Tua being the starter. I've heard this, Scott. Maybe Cleveland trades for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I've heard and, this. You know that would really light a fire. But if Baker goes down, you have a legitimate backup that has the experience. He he he's held his own on all these teams, and that that might be the trade that Cleveland has to make. I've heard this. I've heard Fitzpatrick to a few places now. Uh, I think it's. It's awesome and silly, and, and I feel terrible for him because, <laughs> I mean, he's playing. He was playing probably at his peak, which is ridiculous for his age and his his kind of journeyman experience. But I don't know. To me, that doesn't light Baker's fire. You know what I mean? Either you're going to replace him, or, or you're going to you're just going to take a, a leap of faith, which is what Haskins would be to me. You know what I mean? It's just a let's bring a body in to push Baker a little bit. And oh, by the way. Maybe he's something next year. You know, maybe Dwayne Haskins needs one more year of development. Probably not, but <laughs> I just think it's a low-risk move. That's all. Um, and Cleveland's the type of team that likes to do this. So, uh, speaking of Washington, are they going to sell? Um, <laughs> with that division, I don't know. I mean, everybody is so... Um so low on the wins there that anyone could win that division. So um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they're not a seller. 
All right, Scott, just a few more names now. Um, here's a big one, and it's been out there a bunch, and I've been trying to ignore it because it just these kind of moves just don't happen. But if Houston's out, is J.J. Watt out too? No, I, I do not. I can't see, see it happening. The no. team, the team I've been seeing it to makes sense in the Saints, but uh, I, he he's too much. He's too much of a name in that city to move him. If they did that, I mean, you're alienating your entire fan base, and I cannot see that happening. He's also expensive, and the Saints are broke. <laughs> so I, I just don't love the move for a lot of reasons, but it it, it has to be mentioned because that's such a big name. To me, this one, this is the move. I don't necessarily have a name. I have a position, but the Bills better find a defensive lineman. <laughs> uh, that is true. Because they were mightily exposed Monday, and if they don't plug the run game, they're going to get run all over for the next nine weeks, and there's absolutely no question about it. So, the uh, you know, I don't know if it's Delvin Tomlinson out of the Giants or Sheldon Rankins out of the out of the Saints. There's a couple of teams with some surplus. But to me, that's a move that's absolutely absolutely must happen. We we generally see a few running backs go. I, I'm not putting Zeke on this list. Uh, you know, maybe in the off season, I, not right now. Is there a running back that stands out for you that could be on the move? I couldn't really put my put put a name on one. The Dolphins have a bunch. <laughs> I, I looked at the running backs and the ones that I was going to say, all right, maybe, maybe they move the, the running backs that I, I think of they're filling in as a backup right now yeah. in, in great cases. So they're not going to move. I, I think the only running back that maybe might get moved is uh, like Duke Johnson, Duke Johnson. I'm looking at, you know, maybe Latavius Murray. If you, you want to move him, I can't see that. Um, Here's a name. How about, you know, the Chiefs have a surplus now. They do. Right? And if Le'Veon Bell immediately becomes a fit, you know, this week, there's still a week and a half left. Can they Williams. make it? Can they make it? Yeah. Can they make a quick enough assessment to maybe move, uh, you know, the RB3 out at that point? It's probably not what they want to do. I mean, everybody just wants the depth at this point. So it's not going to be a heavily traded position, in my opinion. But I... Uh, Generally speaking, you see one or two go. So it'd be, I'd be remiss not to try to find one. Any other wide receivers out there for you that are kind of dead? Yeah, at, at Adam Thielen. Yeah, I, mean, I mentioned him if, last if week Minnesota, on the show. Yeah, if Minnesota wants to punt, I mean, that, that's a player that I think could potentially move as a wide receiver. Maybe, uh, you know, someone like Golden Tate. Yeah. If the Giants are still, you know, tanking for whatever they're tanking Did for. Did you even remember he was on the team? It's probably not a good sign for a trade, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I knew he was there between him and um, Slayton. I mean, that's their, their two guys there. But I think Tate may be able to fill in a spot there. Maybe someone like Jamison Crowder, if the Jets are punting, as they seem to be. Um, I, I think there's a handful of wide receivers that teams may want to uh, take a stab at for the depth. And because uh, in the event that one of their wide receivers goes down, then they've got another guy it may be equal caliber to, to step in. Um, but but it, like I said, teams at this point, if, if they're, they're realizing that they have no shot at the playoffs outside of that. Uh, See, I think it's got to be even more aggressive than that, Scott. Even if you're a fringe playoff team, you've got to be considering pulling back. You know, it's just not the year 
to go all in because of the financial situation that's coming next year. You've got to be smarter business than that right now. So I, I do hope we see more trades than usual because of that, because teams are saying, hey, this guy's helping us, you know, half a game right now. And generally we need those guys for the stretch run, but it's not worth it for our long, for our, for our future to do it. You know what I mean? Correct. And I'll also say this, looking at the cap tracker, there are a handful of teams with 20 plus yeah. million dollars in cap space. There are teams on here that should be going to teams that. Yep. Falcons. And say, Falcons. Right, I'll take, I'll take, <laughs> I'll take on your dead cap of a guy you want to get rid of. Yeah. And you throw in, uh, a second round or a third round or a first round, even if it's in, uh, like you said, 2022, t- take the pick yeah. and move on. Use that dead cap, sort of like the NBA, some of the teams do, and saying, I'll take on that guy because I've got so much space to just eat up and and stockpile some of the assets. Because, you know, even if you get up to 10, 12 picks in a, in a draft, you know you're not going to pick 10 to 12 picks. You're going to package them and try to move up, mm-hmm. and you never know what's going to happen in those next few years. So teams that have 20-plus, and I'm looking at there's like seven teams right now that have surplus and cap space, now's the time to uh, pick and choose and say, hey, we'll take on that, throw in a pick, or package it with a player that you may want that you've had on your radar. Uh, now's the time to do that. Are the Vikings going to try to sell a draft pick? to get some of their contracts off to, they may have to. to some of those teams you're talking about. You know, the Browns have done it before. They lead the league in cap space. The Jets have done it before. They're second. The Jaguars would love to stockpile assets right now. Um, and I, I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't put this past Belichick, who sits fourth in cap space right now. Does he buy a, a bad contract off somebody to get a second-round pick? Yeah, I would, I would think so. Me too. I, I, I do think, think that's going to be a move this in the next two weeks here. I think with the unknowns, anything is possible, and you've got to vet every scenario. No scenario is is dumb or stupid at this point because, you know, like we said, college, the, the kids don't have as much – they're not going to have as much scouting as they had before because of not having as many games. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the cap is going to be in the future or or what where things are even going to trend so you need to vet everything possible and if you are a team that likes to build through the draft then you need to get what you can and then package and move up if you feel that you need to do that and if you're a team that wants to acquire uh player assets that other teams don't want a la patriots yeah. then you need to do that okay four teams i want i absolutely want to see make a trade the bears the packers yep. The Eagles and the Bills. Glaring needs, and they can make a push for the rest of the season. Both teams that are going to be right there in the conversation, but I do think need one more element to finish this thing off at least. And then the Vikings and the Falcons going backwards. Be smart. Don't sit on your hands right now. Don't sit on your hands. Shake something up, either roster-wise or or from a business perspective. Just do it. I, I I don't know if I've ever sat at a trade deadline in the NFL and said a player like Julio Jones absolutely needs to go because it just doesn't happen in this league. It happens in baseball. It happens in basketball to some degree. It, it needs to happen. Julio Jones needs to get traded, and there's going to be teams available. I'm going to throw one more wide receiver that I completely forgot about, and it's for it's in a similar vein to the Minnesota conversation, the difference being Minnesota's 1-5 and five and the Dallas Cowboys are in first place. Jerry Jones is the most prideful man maybe in the universe, okay? He just is. 
but he needs to suck this one up and, and, and understand that Amari Cooper was a mistake. It was a mistake. The trade maybe worked. The, the extension did not. It, it was a bad extension. They need to trade Amari Cooper. If there are takers right now for him, trade Amari Cooper, put CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup in the, in the driver's seat with, that, with, that, with Andy Dalton and go. You're not going to be that much worse. You're just not going to be that much worse. Amari Cooper's mm-hmm. a great player, but it's possible to have too many weapons, and certainly from a business standpoint, it's possible to have too much allocated to one position. That will be the case when they have to sign Michael Gallup. So nip it in the butt right now. Find a team that wants Amari Cooper's one more year guarantee. That's all it is. I mean, it's not like this is a daunting contract. Find somebody. Fi- send him to the Bears. Bears would take him. Bears would take him. Um, Saints. I mean, you Saints could take Julio, him. The Saints, that could be an option too. Exactly. So let's throw that name into the conversation as well. All right, that's enough NFL talk. Let's switch gears, Scott, quickly. I know you've done some homework on the Pelicans. You'd made a nice move yesterday. I think we all agreed that Stan Van Gundy is a nice fit for this team. I, I haven't seen the numbers. I know it's a four-year deal. It doesn't really matter. It's all funny money when it comes to coaching money anyway. But uh, just your overall assessment on this team now with Stan Van Gundy at the helm. And let's start to talk about some of the pieces because it's not all locked and set in stone here. Yeah, this is an interesting team with – all the different scenarios that could happen on this team. And, you know, starting with Van Gundy, he it's a four year deal from what we know. I haven't heard of any other uh, financial information. What would you guess about five per? Yeah, I would think five, six per, I think doc rivers got eight per with the right. And you can't put him in that conversation. No, you can't. So I think probably around five or six, somewhere in there, but I think he's the, I think as a coach, he's probably the right pick to go there. You got a young crowd. I've seen a, a few videos that have been posted with him doing some development <laughs> yeah. and showing his skills on the court. And, you know, it, it sounds like he he may work really well in that atmosphere. And it gives him another chance after being in Detroit. And so I, boy, I, I boy, is it the, similar, though, right? Isn't it eerily similar? Because isn't Zion and Blake Griffin sort of the same element? Yeah, it is. Right? Kind of a freak athlete, but there's so many unknowns, especially physically. I just, I'm worried about that. I I do too, especially with the injury history that Zion already has. And um, is is their player development helping Zion grow enough in this offseason? And... And is he coachable? And, you know, they were trying to fix the way he walked and the way he moved. And are all these things <laughs> yeah, going to come back to bite them that's in the, the butt? That's the one that gets me. Like, we do all this draft analysis and scouting and, and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, we love this guy. We just got to fix how he walks. That that came up. <laughs> that's a real thing. Like, in 10 years, this is going to be either a, a laughable moment or one of those moments where we're like, hey, that should have stood out a little more. <laughs> That's not you're something right. you want a 22 year old to have to go through. <laughs> no, you're right. Sort of like redeveloping a, a, the shooting motion. Yeah, it's like Lonzo, right? Been... Who's also Lonzo on the team. Or, He's great. We love Markel him. He just can't shoot. Oh, well, we probably should have Markel made that Fultz. more of a point. <laughs> yeah. Marco Fultz was in that same situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, I, I say that this team is interesting because they have players that they can extend. They have players that have been talked for, uh, trade candidates. They have interesting free agents, a la 
Brandon Ingram, which we'll we'll get into. Go ahead. They I have, put yourself in David Griffin's shoes, Scott, because we just mentioned two of the bigger names that have a ton of question marks in Lonzo and Zion. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, there's a lot to love, but there's a lot of reasons not to want to t- pump a ton of money long-term to those players too right now. So put yourself in the GM's shoes, not not only for this offseason, but maybe for one more offseason where, you know, generally new coach comes in, changes have to be made. Is that going to be the case here? Or is Van Gundy going to get a chance with this roster? And, and would you include Brandon Ingram in that roster? I think they give Van Gundy a chance with the roster as it is, at least to start. And if the trade deadline comes, then they may have to move some pieces or sure. – um, like, let, let, let's start with Lonzo. He's extension candidate because he's a rookie going into uh, his um, uh, fourth year here. He's extension eligible. Uh, he has a cap figure of $11 million. So w- what do the Pelicans want to do? Do they want to extend him? That would, be, so, that would be like a price, Ben Simmons max. Is that what you're talking about? It, it, it could if they want to. Okay. It doesn't have to be. It could be like a Jalen Brown or a Buddy Heald where they didn't necessarily give him the max, but they gave him enough to want to be there for, you know, three or four years. Is Lonzo a max player in your head? No. No, me neither. Okay. Or do the Pelicans just ride out the year, don't give him an extension, and then potentially re-sign him in free agency or let him walk? At that point, he'll be a restricted free agent because he's still under his rookie uh, rookie contract. So they could match any offer that a team may put to him um so they have a couple options that they could go me personally i think you ride it out one more year you see where it goes you don't do the extension well let let me ask you scott off the top of your head just ballpark how many of these rookies in this situation in lonzo's situation don't get extended a lot really is it 50 50 or is it less than 50 no, it's less than 50. I mean, you're talking about 30, 30 rookies in the 2017 uh, draft. So anyone that was a first round is eligible to have that extension, a, a rookie scale extension. So in, in, in most cases, you have only a handful of players that do get an extension. Okay. Um, so with Lonzo, I think they pump the brakes. They they see what one more year does, especially with Van Gundy. What can he do with him? Does he does he meld with another year of Zion? Yeah, as, a as full year. Stay yeah, healthy. Um, and and go from there because, listen, they don't need to extend him because they still have his rights. Yeah. Come the end of the uh, end of next season, so they can still resign him using the bird rights and going over the cap and all of that. And they could also let him see, because he's a restricted free agent, see what other teams would be willing to even pay him. Yeah. And then match it. And if they don't like it. I'm sure that's what his dad wants him to do. Then he can go and sign somewhere else based on that. So there's a lot of different scenarios. And they don't know what the cap is going to be this year, let alone in two years. So if doing an extension right now and allocating money towards a year that you don't even know what the cap is going to be may not be the smartest thing, especially for a team like the Pelicans who are not a team that brings in free agents. They usually have to go all of the draft or they have to make a trade to bring players to them. Um, What if Golden State offers the number two pick for Lonzo Ball? 
Um, because it's a down year for the yep. draft. Yeah, I think you have to really think hard about that. And I, I because I, I actually think I'm, it's a savvy move for Golden State. I, I actually think that's not a bad move, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, to to get that point guard, um, take it off of Steph's it, hands, right? You're getting some depth. Yeah, and it's only, right now it's only eleven million. And keep in mind, if if the Pelicans make a trade, yep, the the Warriors then get the bird rights. That's they right. transfer with the player. So then uh, I, the, the Warriors are going to be tight with the um, with their cap anyways and the luxury tax because of the players that they have signed already. But they do have that trade exception that, though, right, Scott? Which could qualify for this. Which it could. And, and that trade exception of $17 million means that they can absorb a player up to the $11 million up to that $17 million and Alonzo would fit under that trade exception. So they could use it. That's why it's being talked about. It's very important when that expiration right. uh, is collectively bargained because that'll be a time where they need to use that exception by. And it could be someone like Alonzo if they wanted to, to pull. I, I don't know why New Orleans would necessarily do it. Um, I don't either. Because the number two pick in this draft is kind of – it's a, it is a crapshoot. It's a total toss-up. But I do think from Golden State's perspective, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Now, if you're including Wiggins in that deal. That helps, especially huh. financially. Because right now, yeah. Golden State Golden State is uh, about $16 million over the luxury tax. So they're, they're projected to pay like $49 million extra in a luxury tax bill, if that's the case. So if you can swap a Wiggins for... Um, like Alonzo and, and drop your uh, cap figure by 17 million and then bring some other players in. I, I really, yeah, that, I really think some helps. version of this deal is possible. And I know Alonzo to Golden State sounds ridiculous to some people. There's a specific role for Alonzo that really works well in this NBA. And I feel like that's exactly the role he would have on that Warriors team. He would not be asked to do more than what he's good at doing. Whereas the Pelicans, the Lakers, they tried to make him into a complete player. He's just not a complete player. He's going to get better at some of that stuff, but not not early enough to where you need him to be. Do you know what I mean? He's going to be 30 by the time he's a, he's a quality player across the board. But if he if he in his current in his current status drops into that Warriors team and just takes some of the reps off of Steph Curry, my goodness. It's what they wanted D'Angelo Russell to be, but Russell was too damn good. <laughs> Seriously. Like, Russell had too much talent and too much skill, and you could just see, like, that he wanted a bigger role. He demanded a bigger role, and he's going to get it now in Minnesota. Lonzo doesn't need that big of a role. He just doesn't. So I, I think Lonzo complimentary like makes sense. To, yeah. Lonzo doesn't like to shoot. He likes to pass the ball, and and that would fit well with Cl- uh, Clay, Clay Thompson, for sure. you know, k- kick it out to the corner and let him shoot the three, or even Steph, you know, let let – Lonzo take the ball and then kick it out to Steph because we know Steph loves to shoot the three as well. So yeah, a lot of options there, uh, but they're, they're tight financially. So explain, sure explain to the world, Scott here, what happens when they use that trade exception? Because I, I myself don't even know exactly. I, I know it really puts them up against the wall financially, but explain why. Well, the, the trade exception allows a team to absorb another player up to that amount. So in this case, the trade exception is 17, just uh, about 17-2. Yeah. So they can take an, another player without necessarily having to send anything else back to the other team. There's no salary matching because they would absorb 
the player in that trade. So exception. it could be just the number two pick for Lonzo, and then they could use that exception to as the matching purposes. It could. Okay. Yep. Okay. The the other stipulation would be is um, a team that has all cap space left, like the the Knicks, if they renounced all their players and had you know all the cap space in the world, they don't have to have salary matching either mm. because they can just absorb the player using the cap space. So it's the complete opposite of what Golden State has right now. And why this is important is it's very rare that we see a trade exception for 17 million or, you know, this amount of money. Usually it's for uh, like five or six or a minimum value of like 1.2 or three or something like that. So um, it's very important. And I, I expect them to probably use it because they do need. A, does it, does it hard cap them or anything like that, Scott? I mean, what does it do to their finances? Anything? Nope. No, it won't hard cap them, but it, depending on what player is brought back, um, like if they did not move Wiggins and they brought in Lonzo and it was straight up, they're going to be adding another yeah. uh, $11 million that's going to take them even more over the threshold, which makes their tax bill even more. So with that being said, they may want to send something back or maybe it, it's a three-team trade. Someone really wants someone like Wiggins and they can facilitate a three-team trade where Golden State just absorbs ball in that exception or even somebody else yeah. if they wanted to go that route. But right now, Golden State is hurting as far as their luxury tax and with the, the bottom half of their roster being what we saw it was. I mean, it, it was just there. It's nothing to write home about. They're going to want to make some moves. Can't they um, just go to Vegas and bet, bet on themselves at 10 to 1 to win the championship to, to pay off that tax bill? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some collusion in there that is not allowed. But, um, you know, all these scenarios, again, should be on the table, sort of like we just talked with the, with the NFL. Some of these teams need to make some moves because we, the, the West is such a juggernaut. And we saw it with the the Lakers, the 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 Warriors don't have the big men that they really want to compete with the in Anthony Davis and LeBron James and some of these other teams that have real big men. I mean, Draymond is a shell of himself, and we've seen that in the last year and a half or so. They have uh, Kevon Looney. I mean, he's one that could potentially be moved if they didn't really want to stick with him. But if we stick with the, the Pelicans, yeah, that— he yeah give me a final answer on Brandon Ingram because that's really the, the most interesting part here outside of this potential trade that we've just created in our heads <laughs> <laughs> no but it's it's fun to talk about those those aspects because it could happen Ingram is just as interesting as ball in itself because he's a restricted free agent so again he can he can sign with New Orleans using the bird right so he could be maxed out if they want to they could. Um, Ingram could sign a, um, a, a restricted free agent offer from another team, and then the Pelicans would have a chance to match that. But you'd need cap space then, to do that, and nobody really has it, right? You would, but then there's also the fact that, all right, maybe we'll just facilitate a signing trade because he's a, a free agent in itself, so okay. that could happen. Um Brandon Ingram is a restricted free agent, so he will probably most likely be extended a qualifying offer. He could sign that amount if he chose to and just play a one-year deal with the Pelicans and then be an unrestricted free agent next year where the cap may be higher or wherever it may be. 
and then see how many teams are looking to um, have cap space because everyone is trying to keep their books ready for that 2021 offseason with Giannis and yeah. everybody else. So Ingram may want to push just to do the one-year deal, uh, whether it's through a qualifying offer or maybe he just signs with the Pelicans on a one-year deal as it is and then goes into free agency Pelicans aren't necessarily going to want to do that. No. So it's it's going to be a game of chicken between the Pelicans and Ingram. See, and I think, agent. Scott, I think your first point was the right point. You just give them the max. Because we've seen that that doesn't stop anybody from trading anybody. You know what I mean? Like, don't even True. don't even screw around with it. Just get get them under contract, and then when you ha- whenever you have to trade them, you trade them. Somebody's going to be there with draft picks and with players. It's going to happen. So... To, it's not like that's going to put them over financially or, or, or anywhere near the tax threshold, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're pretty middle in terms of spending with Zion so cheap and Lonzo so cheap right now. I have to imagine. Yeah, they'll, 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 be, um, they'll be all right if they sign them to a max yeah. with the roster that they have as far as the luxury tax. I mean, they're going to be somewhere between 10 and $20 million below the luxury tax right. threshold at that point. So they'll be all right with that. Okay. Yeah, so I think it makes it, you just do it. He's a, he's a kid that's got some injury history, but he's also a kid that scored forty for you, and he's yes. young. and And there's a chance. I mean, he's kind of he's he's kind of just under a Jason Tatum kind of a player, where you know the talent's there. You just got to see it happen on a consistent basis. I, I do think that that could come to fruition for them. Get him under contract for sure. So, um, all right, that's enough Pelicans talk. Good move there. We'll see if Houston follows suit Actually, with his let's, brother. Right. Let's go one. We'll- <laughs> well, let's go one more, one more aspect with the Pelicans because I think it's it it needs to be brought up is Drew Holiday. You're right because he was he was a player who has been talked about with the trade deadline. Is uh, were the Pelicans going to move him last uh, last season? They didn't. Do they move him this season? And, and he is a player that could fit on a lot of these different teams and and the the Bucks come up a lot right I know. now. I know. Between between Drew Holiday and uh Chris, Chris Paul. Paul. Bucks, I think it's one or the other. Uh, yeah. But uh, Drew Holiday is so interesting because his cap figure right now is 26 uh 26 2. He has a player option for next year, so he could opt in wherever he goes if he really likes where he went or if he stays with the Pelicans. But he's also, uh, because of how long he's been there in the extension that he signed, he could also sign an extension with the Pelicans in this offseason and null and void the player option. Really? And he could sign for a max and get up. He could give himself a raise for that uh, 2021 season instead of, uh, the 28 or 27 and he could be at 30 based on the rules um, for veteran extensions. So he is a player that he has some figuring out to do as well, but the Pelicans also need to decide, do we want him here long-term? He's a 30 year old point guard, or do we trade him and try to get um, one or two players back that may complement some of these younger guys like ball Ingram Zion and or do they uh, stick with him, let it ride out until the trade deadline um, as is with Van Gundy and leave it as status quo? So that's why I said this team has so many You're interesting right. aspects to them. Everybody's kind of me, on the clock right now. They are. And, and then J.J. Redick is also there. He's got he is a free agent in 2021, 
but his cap figure is only 13 million. So is that a player that teams could uh, were probably wishing they had signed him going with this whole uh, in the bubble and having a shooter? He's a player that could be coveted by some of these other teams to have that wing shooter at 13 million. That is going to be a value that teams may chomp at the bit for. If you're Drew Holiday, where are you in your career? Are you th- are you looking for money? Are you looking for a contender? Or are you looking to be the leader of a team? Like like would he would he gawk at a trade to the Knicks right now? I think he's at a point where he wants to be at a contender. And this is just me yeah, of course. speaking through him. I, I do not know for sure. But I think he wants to be a contender and he wants to win a championship. So going to the Knicks, I don't think he would necessarily want to do that unless he was going to be the focal point. <laughs> I mean, but at, he could single-handedly replace Rondo and KPC. Absolutely. On the Lakers team. Mm-hmm. Single-handedly. Yeah, as scary as that sounds, then you got to get rid of Danny Green and maybe Kuzma. Are you just sending all the Lakers draft picks to New Orleans? Is that what we're doing here? Bring Kuzma uh, back home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but who who are you gonna? I mean, at twenty six, they don't even have enough to facilitate. Yeah, they need a third team. Bring Drew. Yeah, they need a third team well, for sure. Well, because of salary matching of what would be coming in, you would have to be able to. They don't have enough. In assets with financial, you just get the Wizards involved. They help everybody out. Just take get the Wizards hey, involved. That that is another team with Bradley Beal. That is he's going. going to be talked about. They are already talking. I mean, not to go down that road right now, but you know, just say it like it is. Where is he going? Because I know where he's going. Oh, there's so many teams that he could come go on. To. I know. I know where I want him to go. Where I want Bradley Beal and Nick Nurse in Toronto. I want I want him on the Raptors, and I want the Raptors to be legitimate contenders in the East. That's what I want. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I could see. Um, it depends. Some some teams that are waiting for twenty twenty one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I because, would of Giannis? Him on a t- because of Giannis. Because of Giannis. And, yeah. And the slew. Yeah, Dallas the is doing nothing. Of, the, and, and, the slew of other uh, other uh, free agents that are going to be out there. I mean, you've got. You have serviceable players that are going to be out there like Kyle Lowry, DeMar Rosen, Gude Gobert, yeah. uh, Drummond, if he doesn't uh, opt out of his. you got Giannis. You've got Oladipo. You've got – I mean, there's just a slew of players on top of some of these player options of Chris Paul, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Griffin, yeah, Paul George. So 2021 is, is a uh, – is an NBA free agent heaven right now, depending on where things go. So if a team doesn't think that they have any, any chance, then maybe they pull the trigger. Uh, could like also be a reason to shed do. cap space this year though. Could also and, be a reason to ditch. Yeah. And it could, and and maybe a team I'll throw it out there. I haven't done the math to see if it would even match, but someone like uh, the Miami heat yeah. with Bradley Beal would be awesome. Goran, Goran Dragic, I mean, that could be a sign and trade if he wanted to go to um, uh, Washington mm-hmm. because we know of Wall's injury history. So there are so many different scenarios that could happen. It's just a matter of do things line up and do teams want to pull that trigger? And, and some teams are going to have to. Most teams are going to need help. 
So it's going to be par- teams partnering up and, and trying to make it work. Like we saw last off season, it's going to, it's going to be complicated and convoluted and there's a lot of math involved. So good to have you on board for that. All right. Good stuff. Pelicans make the move. Let's see if Houston's next, right? I think the Rockets are probably on the clock now with all this talk in terms of new coach yes. and then roster rebuild, new GM as well. All right. Good stuff, Scott. Thanks so much. All right. We're going to switch gears, get away from the NFL and the NBA and the big four sports and, Dive into a little bit more of the, uh, the, you know, the smaller, but really just as interesting news in terms of sports business. Sportico's own Emily Karen. Hope you enjoy this one. Welcome back to the Hit Parade Hotline. Emily Karen from Sportico. Emily, it's been a couple of months. How are things? It has been. Things are good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, how's life at Sportico? It's been, it seems like things are really taking off. The writing's been outstanding. It's been a good follow every morning. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Um, yeah. We're, uh, we're doing good work. We have a good team, and I think we're just getting started. I, I would agree with that. It seems like things are progressing nicely. College football is here. I think the last time we talked, that was probably a laughing stock. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot's happened since then. Uh, you know, we had a conversation about how not having football was going to affect and trickle down, and we did see that. I, I mean, you know, following you on Twitter, I know you've been, you've been pushing a lot of those narratives that a lot of these smaller sports and, and women's sports, unfortunately, have been axed at least temporarily because of the downfall in revenue. That's why I wanted you back. Not so much to lift some spirits, but where where do you think things are in your assessment? And I know it's tough to tell really for another 18 months what's going to happen with 2020 and the revenue, but are you getting the sense that it's better than, than expected, at least for right now? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be long-term fallout. Um, I think everyone's kind of preparing for that. I think the financial impact is probably going to extend beyond just this calendar year. But that said, I think it's going to be much smaller than people, you know, three months ago were expecting. I think between football coming back, at least at most of the power five schools, they're satisfying at least a large enough portion of their broadcast contracts to get most of that media money coming in, which is a big chunk of their revenue. Um, Smaller schools, you know, you talk about FCF school, FCS schools, you talk about, group of five, um, you know, anyone else who's not necessarily playing or, you know, is playing a shortened season or is not getting as much of that media money coming in, that's going to be a different story. Um, I think they're still going to be grappling with some pretty significant losses. But I think when you look at, you know, kind of the top tier football schools, I think they are going to be much better off. Um, that said, I think a lot of those smaller schools are actually used to operating with less. You know, they're used to kind of budgeting pretty diligently. And so I think there are going to be some cuts, whether that's staff or whether that's sports. Um, you know, it's still to be determined. Obviously, some of those have started, but I imagine there may be more. But, um, you know, another thing that we're starting to see is schools and conferences or, you know, school systems uh, securing loans that they can then give to their athletic departments. And so, you know, people are definitely starting to prepare for ways to help themselves through this. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot quickly. Then I just want to kind of rapid fire through some of your, of your recent pieces because they're, you, okay. you, you do such a variety. It's such a nice breath, fresh, fresh air for me because <laughs> I get down the quarterback rabbit hole way too often and I have to get myself out of it. So it's really nice to have you on to kind of change the pace up a little bit. Um, here's your on the spot question. 2020 has been a mess. You know, there's so much negativity. What is the most positive story you've worked on this year? What's the one you're going to take away with at least to date? Oh, that is a tough question. 
Honestly, I think it's been a lot of what's happening with women's sports. Um, I think, you know, I did a look back at both the NWSL's bubble season earlier this summer and the WNBA bubble down in Bloomington, Florida, you know, and just to see the engagement that they're getting in the audience, you know, they've, these are two leagues that have seen growth, you know, in the last couple of years in particular, but 2020 was kind of a whole nother level for both of them, which was really refreshing to see and really promising for kind of the future of the women's game. Okay. You, uh, transitioned nicely there. So I'm going to bring up the Alex, <laughs> I want to talk about the Alex Morgan story which okay. was a couple of weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. But we did a little work on, on NWSL and, and the money there as well. And then, of course, we find out she's going to the UK to play for Tottenham. Is it is it a supplementary move for her? Or is this something, you know, that we're going to have to start getting used to with our big superstars? That's a good question. Um, U.S. soccer actually has some restrictions on how many of their players can be abroad at any given time. Um, now, some of those were relaxed this year, given the kind of unprecedented situation. And, you know, the even the return of the NWSL, obviously, they recognized wasn't the same as a normal season, mm-hmm. um, particularly this fall when it was, you know, these kind of three small regional bubbles where it's, you know, you're playing such a limited number of teams. Um, so they relaxed some of those. And so we've seen a lot of stars, Alex Morgan included, go over to play internationally, um, you know, more stars than in a typical year. But they are all under contract still with U.S. soccer. And especially, you know, given the U.S. women's national team's dominance kind of in the World Cup and in the international world, it's hard to imagine that these are permanent moves for them. But I do see a scenario in which, you know, these rules that U.S. soccer has relaxed stay this way, you know, whether that's for another season or two or forever, who knows at this point. But, you know, we could be seeing a lot more kind of split seasons like 2020 has brought. So you're including the, the NWSL in that conversation? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you could see a lot of players play, you know, their spring with the NWSL and then, you know, like Alex Morgan and um, Christian Press and everyone else go over in the fall through the winter to play somewhere else, sort of how WNBA players used to do. Um, we could definitely see some more of that. Okay. And and I'm not sure you have too much of a pulse on it, but does the NBA, WNBA, excuse me, still have this situation as well where... You know, there's there's essentially two seasons for these these women where they're playing here for the WNBA and then they go abroad as well. So the WNBA actually tried to kind of rectify that with their new CBA, which they signed this past winter, um, you know, by offering their players higher base salaries and better incentives and more team and league support here in the States. They're kind of trying to provide a system where players don't or create a system where players don't feel obligated to go overseas and make an additional income and risk injury and do all that other stuff. So they're definitely trying to reduce the amount that happens, um, you know, for rookies and other players where their base salary is a little bit lower, you're still going to see it. And I think that's still written into the CBA, but I think for their stars, they're trying to kind of keep them at home. Okay. I mean, it, it does seem positive. And, and another positive women's story is this athletes unlimited situation. We talked about it a couple of months ago, with the mm-hmm. softball and how they were going to basically bubble themselves in Chicago. How did that go? And it sounds like volleyball is next and that's going to get off the ground. It seems like this system is working. Would you, would you agree with that? You know, it's hard to say so far they haven't um, released any broadcast numbers, but they have come out and said, you know, we're already coming back for a second softball season, which indicates that, you know, their sponsors and their partners and the kind of the people who made this financially possible were satisfied with how the first season went. Um, they had a number of different distribution partners as well. So it 
you know, there was the possibility for it to reach a ton of homes and a ton of different um, fans. They've also, beyond, um, you know, announcing volleyball for the spring, announced a women's lacrosse season for next summer. So, you know, inference would tell you that if they're kind of making all of these forward-thinking plans, that it's likely that, you know, they had some some good results in their first softball season. And do you think they're going to carry the same broadcast with these other sports? That's, that's a good question. Um, I know from speaking with John Patrickoff, the co-founder, that they are pretty confident that at least one of their three main partners from this softball season is going to carry on to volleyball in the spring. Um, I guess winter, spring, starting in February. Um, So they're pretty confident that at least one of those will. They worked with CBS was their main broadcast partner, but then they also worked with ESPN and then the Olympic Channel for international distribution. So it sounds like at least one of those three, if not more, will continue on. Well, look, my daughters and I watched the softball, and and I went as far as to buy the trading card from Topps. (laughs) um, I'm sure they'd be happy to hear that. Yeah, it's out there. I mean, it it was a good watch. So I, I think this company's doing right by this whole you know, it's not a predicated community. It, they're building a, a brand, as you and, you and I talked about a couple of months ago, right? This is a marketing push along with a sports push, and I think that's working. The social media side of it, the uh, you know, the journalistic side of it that comes with it, the the writing that goes along with it. You're 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 bio you're you're, you're building bios for these girls, right? And that's what we want to see. We want to, we want to learn about these these female athletes, not just be able to see them. And I think that's a big part of it. That's why U.S. soccer is so important. You know what I mean? We know these women from the, from the Olympics and things like that. We have a we can we can connect ourselves to them. So I think this athletes unlimited situation is is a nice move. I'm happy to hear it's working. What else have you been writing about lately? My goodness, this Michelle Wee story. I just read this this <laughs> morning. Everything, Emily, yes. I know you're all over the place. Talk to me about this yes. Michelle Wee story because I love the, the sponsorship side of sports, and it sounds like she's been really smart with things. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that assessment. Um, I think what interested me about that story this morning was that, you know, she joined Steph Curry um, in working with this company, Oxygen. But what they both did and what you're seeing increasingly with athletes is, you know, there are not very many traditional endorsement deals anymore. Um, You're not seeing players just, you know, sign money for for a sum for them to use their face, um, you know, for a company or to post it on their social media you're seeing a ton of deals that now involve investments and equity and ownership, um, you know, and some, you know, some of the stuff that really sets these players up for the long term, but also kind of gives them a much bigger say in what they're doing. And that's what you saw with this Michelle Wee story um, with Oxygen. And I think, you know, she's at a point in her career where she's kind of approaching the point that there could start to be a potential transition. You know, we saw her, last year do a ton of stuff from the broadcast booth. So it's clear that she's kind of, you know, like at least positioning herself to pivot um, into kind of a post playing career, not saying that she'll stop playing, um, but, you know, starting to line some of those longer term things up for herself. And I think this was a really smart move for her to partner with a company that's seen, you know, three to 400% growth year over year for the last three or four years. Um, and is now, you know, in a position where they really want to not just be in every market, but be a presence in every market um, in sports and beyond. And so, you know, if you look at a company with that kind of growth and that kind of trajectory and you have, you know, the means and kind of the social presence and the popularity to get involved and be a benefit to both parties, it seems like a smart play. So what would you attribute the you know, the lack of spokesperson to now, I, I mean, I, I can understand why, why the athletes would want to be invested versus being in, in commercials, 
you know, obviously right. there's more long-term revenue and it's just smarter business. You know, that's kind of the LeBron's approach. Is it just that, you know, traditional commercials are dead? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just I not an avenue. It doesn't really that. work anymore. Yeah, I think you saw at first when kind of social media rose to the prominence that it is today, I think at first you saw a lot of players, you know, and companies navigating away from this um, TV ad kind of world and, just, you know, switching to that on social. But then I think, you know, you saw this feeling of there's a really saturated market of advertisements on social media. And so now, you know, they want these, a lot of companies want their athletes to be kind of really involved and invested in <clears throat> holistic parts of what they're doing. And so I think, you know, for the athletes, it's not only an incentive to become more involved than just promoting a product on social media or something like that, but it also is more of a long-term play. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of agents and a lot of marketing firms are pushing their athletes to do is to really, you know, get more out of this. I think athletes today um, are more invested and more active than we've ever seen before. And I think that's just a trend that's only going to continue. So my, my guess is, you know, agents and players always wanted this and company, sure. <laughs> companies just never felt, you know, bent it and allowed for it. Right. Because there were, there was never a reason to bring, you know, a, an NBA player into an organization from a business standpoint, un unless the value was good enough. Well, the values, but th there's nothing that Steph Curry can't tweet, <laughs> you know, that isn't right. going to blow up in a day and a half. I mean, that's how powerful social media can be for these kind of athletes. So yeah, of course you, you give them a piece of the pie and then basically say, you know, tweet, tweet out with a, you know, with a link and a hashtag once a month and we're all going to benefit from this. It, it's that easy right now, isn't it? It definitely is. And I think too, what you're seeing is there was really no blueprint for this. And so I think you saw some players kind of starting to experiment with it, whether that was Magic Johnson back in the day or LeBron more recently. And, yeah. you know, LeBron is one of the players who has clearly grown an empire far beyond what anyone I think expected probably when he came into the league, you know, far beyond basketball. And, you know, you look at someone like Steph Curry, who, you know, a few years back launched his own kind of investment arm SC30. So I think once players kind of signaled that they were looking for more, I think companies were ready for that. I don't know that they, you know, were 10, 15, 20 years ago, super eager, just because there was no blueprint, no precedent, nothing for them to look at and say, okay, is it, is the return worth it for us if we give up 10% of our company in the process? Um, but I think now you're seeing that there's a model that's working. So let's kind of bring it back full circle because I know you live in the college world a lot more than not. And the likeness situation is coming for these college athletes. I mean, it's here in it some is. sense. So how much of this can trickle down? How much can Steph Curry help the next big college football or basketball player, you know, grow, build, earn from his, his or her likeness at the college level? Can it get to this level? I mean, can it get to a point where you can, they, they can be investing? You know, that's a good question. I think we're going to have to see the actual final NCAA rules. I, you know, I doubt that will be the case while they're in college, but I think what you're going to see is that a lot of these players can develop some, you know, especially the bigger the players with the bigger brands or the bigger social media followings um, can develop some pretty deep relationships with companies that will definitely extend yeah. conditionalize, right? Postgrad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. totally. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because it's really going to, you know, it's been happening anyway. So, you know, the fact that we're finally getting here is just kind of gravy on the mashed potatoes. But um, I do think this conversation is going to trickle down. It's going to have to, because, 
you know, you know how it goes with these college football players. There are some that are bigger than life, you know, <laughs> and they're not just big men on campus. They are, they are worldwide, you know, superstars. There's going to be some money to be made and there's going to be agents and marketing companies and sponsorships that are going to be, they were waiting to take it on. So I got to finish with this. I tried to stay positive for 20 minutes here. I, I, <laughs> I, I got to, I got to steer negative to get this answer out of you. I imagine you've started to, or, or probably have fully dove into college basketball. How are we looking? <laughs> Honestly, things look pretty on track. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I guess it was now, the NCAA voted for basketball to start on an on-time schedule. Um, I think broadcast partners are going to be heavily relying on that. You know, I think what happens in terms of if there's a second wave or spikes or breakouts, I think all of that is still pretty up in the air, especially, you know, through the winter when, you know, other illnesses already tend to flare up. But I think at the outset, um, you know, leagues and or conferences and the league are expecting a normal start. Are, are they going to play their, this- are they going to play their non-conference games, Lily Emily, or, are they, you know, the travels, what bothers me the most. I mean, if they're going to stay kind of local and play their, their conference schedule, I think that's probably okay. But, you know, I've heard the same that they kind of want to keep everything as is that does, that seems reckless to me. Yeah, I think that's going to be a conference-by-conference call. I think you're starting to see some of them roll that over. I know, you know, the Pac-12, when they canceled football, initially canceled basketball, too, at least through 2021, a decision that they've now reversed. Um, But I think we still have to wait to see what schedules actually look like. I, You know, I also imagine a scenario I know you think about a region like the ACC. They're, you know, they are basketball powerhouse, but – they also are in an area that's kind of pushed ahead with fo- football, um, you know, without a ton of plans to fully uh, <laughs> yeah. shorten the season. You're being very nice this morning. <laughs> um, so it's hard to imagine a scenario in which, you know, same thing with the SEC, you know, a conference like that, at least right now, makes major decisions that would change the schedule when things, you know, football-wise for them are, I guess, in their eyes going pretty well obviously we've had a number of breakouts we've had tons of games rescheduled but at the end of the day they're still pushing forward with the season um so it's hard to imagine them changing um you know and then if you look at the Pac-12 you know as of their football returning announcement they seem to be moving forward as well with the November start so everyone seems optimistic there and I don't know if that's just kind of a trying to keep a false hope alive or what it is. But, you know, I think at least at the start, we'll see a normal season. I don't, I'm not that confident that it will end that way, but. It's about honoring TV contracts, right? As, and pretty much all these conferences have, they've, they've done it. Football's done it. So I would imagine basketball is going to do everything they can to do the same, whether that's a 75% season, but it's enough, right? It's, it's whatever it takes to get to that threshold. Right. And that's, I think, why you see this push to have basketball start on time, especially is, you know, every conference is playing some kind of a shortened or truncated or altered football season right now. So they need as much of basketball, which kind of is their second biggest media sell as they can get to get, you know, the majority of that money coming back. You can read all over the sports world (laughs) from sports business from Emily Karen on Sportico at Sportico.com. She's underscore M Karen on Twitter. She's a great follow and always a great read. Emily, thanks so much for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. My thanks to the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot track S P O T R A C for 40% off your first year subscription. 
For Scott Allen and Emily Karen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trick Podcast. <laughs>